Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Now to new developments in the Gabby Petito case. The city of Moab, Utah, just released the results of an investigation into how police handled a fight between Gabby and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie. That independent investigation found the officers made, quote, unintentional mistakes. ABC Action News reporter Julie Solomon has been leading our coverage on this case for months now, and she went through that 100-page report tonight. An independent agency completed its review of the August 12th incident in Moab, Utah, involving Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito. The findings were just released. The report recommends improvements to both the policies and training at the Moab City Police Department. I don't know, we've been fighting all morning, and... (laughs) And he would have let me in the car. Body camera footage from August shows officers pulling the couple over as they were traveling across the country in a white van. A witness reported seeing the two fight. We drove by and the gentleman was slapping the girl. The investigation found a statement was never obtained from the original 911 caller. Ultimately, officers separated the couple for the night. More than a month after the Utah incident, Petito's body was found in September just outside Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. Authorities ruled her death a homicide. Police named Laundry as the only person of interest. His remains were discovered in October in a Northport Nature Preserve. Authorities said he died by suicide from a gunshot wound to the head. Did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him and then uh, I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually The report stated just because Gabby was determined to be the predominant aggressor in this incident doesn't mean she was a long-term aggressor in the relationship. Quote, it's very likely Gabby was a long-term victim of domestic violence, whether that be physically, mentally, or emotionally. The report states the officers involved made several unintentional mistakes. During an interview, one of the officers involved said he accepted any wrongdoing, saying, quote, I do care. I am devastated about it. I cared that day and still care. I don't think the public gets that we, I don't know if they know we care. I don't know if they know. The city says it will adopt the recommendations stated in the report. Julie Salmon, ABC Action News. 
Meanwhile, the independent review found to the two officers should be placed on probation. And if they're still on probation, it should be extended, they say. This report also stated it's difficult to assign any responsibility to anyone other than the person or the people directly responsible for Gabby's death. Again, that report is over 100 pages long. If you'd like to read the whole thing, look for this story on our website. Head over to abcactionnews.com. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst. And yes, I'm back in the intelligence cell once again to talk about Gabby Petito. Of course, the 19th of September has just been and gone, marking one year to the day that Gabby was found. I did post about Gabby on social media, as did her family and many, many others. Gabby was in fact trending on Twitter. We didn't forget her. That's an incredible testament to the influence Gabby has raising awareness of domestic abuse and coercive control. She wanted to be an influencer, and she really is. Now, of course, there are many other cases, and women and girls in particular, who don't get this level of attention. In America, Domestic Abuse Awareness Month is October, which is just a week away. Gabby's story and my analysis and crime analyst are part of it. And yes, to say I'm hugely excited about that is an understatement. More on that to come at the end of the episode. It's also worth underlining again that there really is no closure for families. Each significant date opens it all back up. And with Gabby's case, there are many anniversary dates, like the day her family realised she was missing, the day she was reported missing, the day Brian Laundrie returned home without Gabby, the day Brian Laundrie was found. And rarely will a day go by when you don't think about your loved one, like Gabby. You just find a way to exist. But of course, once Brian was found, it didn't end there. As you heard in the clip at the top of the episode, an independent review of the Moab City police response took place. The report was published on the 12th of January, 2022. Now, this investigation or review came about after the Merb City Police Department received a formal complaint about the way that they handled case 2021-001108. The complaint was received by Merb PD on the 21st of September, 2021 by Tanya Reeves. A follow-up complaint was received by Tanya Reeves on October 1st, 2021. Captain Brandon Ratcliffe was asked to complete an investigative review on the 27th of September, 2021, and the 99-page report published in January 22 was the end product. Now, I said I'll share the headlines of the 99-page report, but I have quite a lot to say about the review itself, and I'm going to try not to be repetitive. However, there are some extremely important points that I would like to make. Okay, so going back to the end of part 14, I posed two key questions. What else was in the police report? And what happened to the officers since? Now, I want to focus on the police report filed by Officer Pratt and Officer Robbins first off. I mentioned at the end of part 14 that I was extremely concerned by the fact that Gabby was seen as the problem. Gabby was pathologised and was documented as having a mental health crisis 
and that Brian, who two witnesses reported as the problem, appeared to come out smelling of roses and indeed was driven to a hotel to have a lovely evening watching TV. Well, in the police report, the offence was recorded as a disorderly conduct with Brian as the victim and Gabby as the suspect. So nothing to do with domestic abuse or mental health. And of course, that's a huge problem. Also, some of you crime analysts have been joining the dots. You wrote to me and asked about the van. You see, early on in this series, I mentioned that the van belonged to Gabby. And so the question that many of you have asked was, did the police know that the van belonged to Gabby? Now, I've obtained a copy of the police report, and I'm going to answer that now, because that was a question that I wanted to know the answer to, and was on my mind. On page two of the police report, it clearly states the white Ford Transit van was owned by Gabrielle Venora Petito. So yes, it was known. Interestingly, I've analysed a version of the police report obtained by Brian Entin on the 15th of September 2021, and the vehicle section was redacted. Now, I can't tell you why it was redacted in this version, but I have to wonder, was it to intentionally hide the fact that the police report detailed the van's owner as Gabby? You see, in part 14, I highlighted that I believed that Utah's law was misapplied and misunderstood due to Utah being a predominant aggressor law. I believed that Gabby was the victim and she was defending her property, the van and her phone. The question I'm concerned with, as I know some of you are too, was why didn't they see Gabby as defending her van and phone and just trying to get into her van? Well, I can reveal to you now that this was all contained within the police report. Officer Robbins wrote that they were arguing over a phone. He said he confirmed the vehicle's license plate and initiated the stop. We also all saw him on the police camera footage take a photo of Gabby's driving license. Now I'm going to come back to this because along with understanding the actual law, record keeping is also key. As I always say in my Dash Masterclass training, Your dash and crime reports are your defensible decision-making logs. The, I did A, B and C because of X, Y and Z. You may be asked to account for what you did or you didn't do many months or years later. And it's important, particularly with patterned abuse, like domestic violence, stalking, sexual violence and coercive control. Now, there's a lot more that I could say here about the four-page police report, but I don't want to repeat myself. So I'm going to return to it as I share my breakdown and analysis of the 99-page police review in the next few episodes. Now, full disclosure, I was planning on just going through the headlines, but digging into this report, there's so much to say that I can't just do broad brush headlines. And for those who want to read the report for yourself, which I always recommend, I've put a link in the show notes. Okay, so first up, I want to place on record that it's good that Merb City Police did an independent review. On page one of the review, there's a statement. The first line states how the review came about. So the Merb PD received a formal complaint about how the police stop was handled. And as I said, the complaint was made by attorney Tonya Reeves. The review states that the complaint is attached to the report, but I couldn't find it. However, the nine components of her actual complaint are headings within the report. 
The investigator in the case and person writing the review was a Captain Brandon Ratcliffe, who's employed by the Price City Police Department. Okay, so like I said, huge thumbs up for doing the review. However, my next question, as always, is who's Captain Ratcliffe and what qualifies him to do a review of this nature? Is Captain Ratcliffe an expert in domestic abuse and coercive control and the police response, for example? As someone who started the domestic homicide review process in the UK at New Scotland Yard in 2001 and then worked with Harriet Harman, the then Solicitor General, to bring it into legislation in 2004 within the Domestic Violence Crime and Victims Bill, I not only changed the law to ensure independent multi-agency domestic homicide reviews took place, but I've also been reviewing DV murder reviews since 2001 and trained others on how to conduct reviews. In 2001, we started multi-agency domestic homicide reviews in the Metropolitan Police Service to learn the lessons to prevent future murders. Detective Chief Inspector Alan Orbelak and Detective Chief Superintendent John Godsave and I came up with the idea. We wanted to do our best for victims. We wanted to get better and do better and be better. We wanted to learn. I went on to develop the Specs Plus risk model, which is now known as the DASH risk model from reviewing our murders. There was a dynamic feedback loop. I would assess and profile the case, and I'd always start with asking questions about the victim, the victimology, the murder, the crime scene, what was reported prior to the murder, what was known to police about the victim, and what was known to police about the perpetrator. Was there a proactive investigation? Was the investigating officer trained to understand the dynamics of domestic abuse? Were they trained to identify risk? Was there a risk assessment? Were there any antecedents to the murder? How was the victim treated in prior contacts? Was the response appropriate? Were the policies and laws adhered to? What was written in the police reports and the intelligence logs? Was information shared with other agencies, if appropriate? What risk management and safety planning was undertaken prior to the murder? Were there any risk factors identified? What was the timeline of the murder? What are the learning opportunities? Could the murder have been prevented? These are the sorts of questions I was routinely asking. I wrote the multi-agency policy and guidance for the reviews in the Metropolitan Police Service, as well as for partner agencies we work with, and I also drafted templates, along with national guidance, and trained many professionals on them. I've analysed and quality-assured hundreds of domestic homicide reviews in my time. I also worked as a quality assurance assessor for the UK's Home Office. In other words... I know a lot about reviews, and in particular police reviews, and promulgating good practice. You can read the chapter I wrote about it in my book, Policing Domestic Violence, published by Oxford University Press, that I wrote with two police officers who were subject matter experts at the time as well. Now the book is part of Blackstone's policing guide, and it was seen as the gold standard. Back to this review. Okay, so that's a little bit of background context about me and domestic homicide reviews. That's quite important, I think. So let's go back to this review of the police stop of Gabby and Brian. Okay, so I did some research about Captain Brandon Ratcliffe, and it seems that he spoke on a panel at CrimeCon in Las Vegas on Saturday the 30th of April. The panel was called The Murder of Gabby Petito, How to Spot Domestic Abuse. And I'm curious... 
Did any of you actually hear him? Perhaps you did, and I'd love to know what this panel was like and what he said. Was coercive control even mentioned? I'll post his profile on social media as well. Okay, so this is what it says. Brandon Ratcliffe, Price City Police Department. Captain Brandon Ratcliffe began his law enforcement career in 2012 with the Price City Police Department. In that time, he's been a patrol officer, narcotics agent, patrol sergeant, investigator for the Utah Medical Examiner's Office, and he's currently serving as the commander for the Carbon Metro Drug Task Force, as well as the captain for the Price City Police Department. In this time, Brandon since earned his bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Utah Valley University and looks forward to further education in the near future. So that's interesting. According to this, he has no expertise in domestic abuse or specialism in public protection. Hmm, that's problematic. You see, often in the police, a review is a review that's a review. And I've seen many times before this sort of approach. Someone knows a guy called Jimmy Jones in another police force, and he owes a favour to one of the other officers, and so they get Jimmy in so that he can do the review. And when you do a bit of digging around, you find out that Jimmy and Bobby, who brought Jimmy in, were cadets together. They go way back. You know, that sort of thing. All mates together. But yeah, no, that's not an independent review. And by the way, I'm not saying that happened here, but finding the right person with the right skill base to do a review so it's independent is really important. Also, when it comes to domestic abuse and coercive control, a review isn't just a review of the process. You need experts, because otherwise the review is just one-dimensional. And if you're actually trying to improve practice and really get to the gold standard, it's exactly why you need an expert who's either an advisor to the person doing the independent review, or there's a panel of experts, preferably. Now, reviews cost money, and if you really want to learn and not just pay lip service, you invest in this process. After all, this is about saving lives, and there's a high cost when things go wrong, which is exactly why you have to invest in experts committed to real change, particularly as so much in the police culture is systemic, and real change begins with the leaders. Now, if you think about it another way, I'm going to give a different example. I train and work out regularly. I always have. During the first pandemic, I was in London, and I was working out at home a lot. I already had a bad shoulder from a skiing accident, but slowly it developed into what's known as frozen shoulder. It gradually got worse and worse, and it's hands down one of the most painful and immobilizing things I've had. Interestingly, it seems that a lot of women suffer from it, but yet there's not a huge amount of research on it, because, you know, it's just women. And who gets to decide where all the research funding goes? You got it. Men. And don't even get me started on pregnancy and the paucity of research on women and pregnancy and what happens to the female body and brain, particularly when you give birth and after. Like I read those two papers that exist about how your brain shrinks. And yes, that's a thing. And it's also a thing that so little research is conducted because it's only, you know, women. And yes, I'm being facetious, but there is a pattern emerging. And if you don't believe me, read Caroline Criado Perez's excellent book, Invisible Women. Okay, so back to my frozen shoulder. I just want to give you this as another example of what I mean. So I went and saw my doctor. 
They didn't really tell me much about what causes it or how to treat it, and of course I had lots of questions. They did recommend that I see a physiotherapist, or a physical therapist, as they're called here in America. I went to see my sports osteopath, who helped a bit, but it was still a major problem. So when I could eventually fly back to Los Angeles, I went and saw a soft tissue expert, Mark Cromey, at Vargo Physical Therapy, who was highly recommended. Vargo Physical Therapy is also a leading provider in rehabilitation for sports injuries, and so Mark seemed to be the right specialist for me to see. Mark saw me straight away. He was incredible, so big shout out to Mark. After a full assessment, he diagnosed me and said he'd be able to get full rotation and movement back in my shoulder. That was such a huge relief to hear. He put me on an intensive plan using ASTIM, and I had to make the trip to see him every week and do the exercises every day. It was a really painful road back to full recovery, but I did fully recover and I had a full range of motion back in my shoulder within a couple of months. So what's ASTIM? Well, ASTIM stands for Augmented Soft Tissue Mobilization. So ASTIM is the new standard for soft tissue therapy. It regenerates healthy soft tissues, muscles, tendons, etc., and removes unwanted scar tissue that may be causing pain or movement restrictions. Now, the ASTIM method allows your physical therapist to stimulate your body's own natural healing response when soft tissue degeneration or fibrosis and chronic inflammation is present. And I have to say, ASTIM is amazing and Mark's one of the best. I really wasn't sure if I'd have full movement again in my shoulder. It was completely locked and incredibly painful. So I hacked the process and I called in what I would say is the best of the best. I needed a specialist as I needed to get to the root of the problem, right? I think everyone gets that. And in any industry, you'd want to call in a specialist to help fix a problem and get to the root cause, not just treat the symptom. So I always find it fascinating after a horrific murder has happened that a bloke is asked to do a review who has no expertise in that area particularly in 2021 and 2022, it speaks volumes to me. Now, I have more to say about this, and I'll circle back, as I just want to deconstruct the ABC News segment that you heard at the top of the episode about the headlines of the police review report. And I'm going to play the clip again. So grab a pen, grab your phone. You'll definitely want to make a note or two. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, so you're going to hear the clip again. And I'd love it if you'd make a note of the key points that jump out at you from this 2 minute and 40 second news report. So take a listen to this. Now to new developments in the Gabby Petito case. The city of Moab, Utah, just released the results of an investigation into how police handled a fight between Gabby and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie. That independent investigation found the officers made, quote, unintentional mistakes. ABC Action News reporter Julie Solomon has been leading our coverage on this case for months now, and she went through that 100-page report tonight. An independent agency completed its review of the August 12th incident in Moab, Utah, involving Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito. The findings were just released. The report recommends improvements to both the policies and training at the Moab City Police Department. I don't know, we've been fighting all morning and... (laughs) And he wouldn't let me in the car. Body camera footage from August shows officers pulling the couple over as they were traveling across the country in a white van. A witness reported seeing the two fight. We drove by and the gentleman was slapping the girl. The investigation found a statement was never obtained from the original 911 caller. Ultimately, officers separated the couple for the night. More than a month after the Utah incident, Petito's body was found in September just outside Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. Authorities ruled her death a homicide. Police named Laundry as the only person of interest. His remains were discovered in October in a Northport Nature Preserve. Authorities said he died by suicide from a gunshot wound to the head. Did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him and then I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually The report stated just because Gabby was determined to be the predominant aggressor in this incident doesn't mean she was the long-term aggressor in the relationship. Quote, it's very likely Gabby was a long-term victim of domestic violence, whether that be physically, mentally, or emotionally. The report states the officers involved made several unintentional mistakes. During an interview, one of the officers involved said he accepted any wrongdoing, saying, quote, I do care. I am devastated about it. I cared that day and still care. I don't think the public gets that we, I don't know if they know we care. I don't know if they know. The city says it will adopt the recommendations stated in the report. Julie Salmon, ABC Action News. Meanwhile, the independent review found to the two officers should be placed on probation. And if they're still on probation, it should be extended, they say. This report also stated it's difficult to assign any responsibility to anyone other than the person or the people directly responsible for Gabby's death. Again, that report is over 100 pages long. If you'd like to read the whole thing, look for this story on our website. Head over to abcactionnews.com. Okay, so I just want to break it down. Firstly, they recognise that it was an independent review. So that sounds really good, doesn't it? Secondly, that the review found, and I quote, unintentional mistakes, and that policy and training need improvement at the Moab City Police Department. So they do make a note that there were mistakes, and that's important to acknowledge. So this ABC News report highlights that firstly, a statement was never obtained from the 911 caller who called to report the gentleman was slapping the girl. So that's a pretty major point. Two, the report concluded that just because Gabby was determined to be the aggressor, it doesn't mean she was the long-term aggressor in the relationship. That's an important point. 
And it's exactly right. And more importantly, because of Utah's predominant aggressor law, and it's not a primary aggressor law, but that's not explained. So my question, just from listening to that, is, is it explained in the police review report? And thirdly, they say that it's likely that Gabby was the long-term victim of domestic violence, whether that be physically, mentally or emotionally. Well, it's not just likely, it was known. So this leaves it open. Also, there's no mention of coercive control, including psychological and or financial abuse. The news report again says that the officers made several unintentional mistakes and that during an interview, one of the officers involved accepted any wrongdoing, saying, and I quote, I do care. I am devastated about it. I cared that day and still care. I don't think the public gets that we, I don't know if they know we care. I don't know if they know we know. Did that make an impact on you? So this is what Officer Eric Pratt said on interview. It's included in the conclusion of the review report. And it's interesting that this is what was highlighted in the conclusion and that it's also in the news segment. I'm curious. Be honest. How did it make you feel hearing that? Does it change anything for you? I want you to attend to that for a moment. So the city also said that they'll adopt the recommendations from the report And I'm going to highlight what those recommendations are, but not just yet. Lastly, the in-studio presenter said that the report said that the officers should be on probation and that if they're on probation, it should be extended. And the final point that the presenter makes is this. It's difficult to assign any responsibility to anyone other than the person or the people directly responsible for Gabby's death. She reiterated lastly that the report is over 100 pages long, Well, actually, it's 99 pages. But I want you to think about that and ponder the last point that she made, because that's also in the conclusion of the report. And I'll repeat it again. It's difficult to assign any responsibility to anyone other than the person or the people directly responsible for Gabby's death. Now, as always, you can and will draw your own conclusion about whether you agree with this statement And please do so once you've heard everything I have to say. One thing I'm going to fly on your radar right now, as an experienced reviewer and assessor, is the placement of the statement in the report and news segment. It's the last thing that we're left with from the news report, and that's what they want us to have as the main takeaway. Also, writing a 99-page report, outlining all the mistakes and making recommendations for change, and concluding with the line but no one else is to blame other than the killer, is, in my opinion, a complete oxymoron. It makes zero sense. The two things fight each other. Just like answering the question in domestic homicide reviews in the UK, could this murder have been prevented? And writing no. But here's the 252-page report with 25 recommendations for change. Can you see the problem? I've been saying this for many years, And so to the question that many of you have asked me, what has happened to the officers since the police stop? Well, you heard the presenter in the clip say that the report recommended that both officers be put on probation, and if they're on probation already, that it be extended. So that sounds like there's a modicum of accountability, right? Well, let me tell you that it was short-lived, because Officer Eric Pratt has been promoted in less than a year. 
Yes, you heard that right, less than a year. How can that be right, I'm sure you're wondering. In the police, you're on probation as a form of punishment and also as a safety measure. Promotion, however, is a reward. So how can it be both in less than a year? And what message does it send out? The optics look all wrong and the message is the wrong one. And so back to the point about stating in a report that no one's responsible but the killer. Well, that's hugely problematic for me. And it's not always true. And it also negates the whole purpose of the review. Why write the report and conclude that? And let's not forget, it's exactly what Gabby's family lawsuit is all about. And a court will determine this. Not me, not a report writer selected by the police, but a judge after reviewing all the evidence. And there have been other similar cases, as I mentioned before, and other similar cases that happened in Utah. One such case is Lauren McCluskey. 21-year-old Lauren was a student and talented athlete at the University of Utah. On the 2nd of September 2018, she met a man called Melvin Sean Rowland, who was a bouncer at a bar. They had a short relationship. She found out that he was a sex offender and serial perpetrator. He started stalking her. She called the university campus police multiple times. He was also threatening her, saying that he'd released photos of her. Lauren again reported him to the university campus police. On the 19th of October 2018, the police finally started an investigation into the allegations of extortion. Now, some call it revenge porn. I don't like that term, as often it's not porn. Photos are not taken with consent. So to me, it's image-based sexual abuse. And often, it's part of a pattern of coercive control and or stalking behaviour. Now, Lauren reported him again, as she kept receiving texts from unknown numbers from people claiming to be police and asking she meet with them. On the 22nd of October, between 3 and 6pm, he was waiting around on campus for Lauren. At 8.20pm, he grabbed her when she was on the phone with her mother, Jill McCluskey. Lauren dropped her phone as he bundled her into a car, and he then shot her dead. This was a brutal and premeditated murder, another stalking-related murder in slow motion. Lauren repeatedly asked for help and protection from this sexual and serial perpetrator. Take a listen to this. The parents of Lauren McCluskey filed a second lawsuit today against the University of Utah. They're claiming not only did the university fail Lauren, but it's failing all women. News specialist Tanya Dean's live at the U tonight. And Tanya, these are new allegations. Yeah, they are, Dave. I spoke with Lauren's mom tonight. Now, Jill McCluskey thinks the university police didn't take Lauren seriously because she was a woman. Now, the new wrongful death lawsuit claims the U has shown a pattern of discriminating against women, and it needs to stop. Everyone let Lauren down. The lawsuit is our last resort, but that's a way that we need to, we need to do it to make change. Jill McCluskey says a lawsuit filed today is meant to hold those who failed Lauren accountable. It names the University of Utah, the University Police Department, some officers individually, and the state of Utah. We want the University of Utah and Ruth Watkins to say that they're responsible, that if they had taken this case seriously when she began presenting her concerns for safety, that we, we never would have had a murder. 
Part of the lawsuit alleges that university officials had a pattern of minimizing claims reported by women. McCluskey says their negligence led to her daughter's murder. I definitely think they didn't take Lauren seriously as as a woman and we there've been a number of stories that have shown a have shown a pattern there that when women come and and complain about sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, all sorts of things they aren't taken seriously. The lawsuit asks for $56 million. Money the McCluskey say will go towards making campuses safer for young women. They say they don't want Lauren's death to be in vain. I just hope that we can make a difference with, with this lawsuit and it will cause them to, to take women more seriously in the future. I reached out to the University of Utah. They say their attorneys are reviewing the new lawsuit and they'll have a comment after they file a response in court. Back to you. Tanya Dean, live for us tonight at the University of Utah. Thanks, Tanya. Lauren's family successfully sued the University of Utah in Lauren's case. They wanted to hold those who failed Lauren accountable and it was deemed that the University of Utah failed Lauren and her murder was preventable. You heard Jim McConkie in that clip. He was the McCluskey's family attorney. He's also the lawyer instructed by Gabby's family. Notice too it was about women being let down, and not just Lauren, because this is a repeat pattern of women being failed. Lauren's case is horrific, and her family have done so much to raise awareness and to hold the University of Utah to account. Also, going back to the ABC clip about Merb City Police Review, the media play a key role in how events are framed and what the takeaways are. And the police, of course, have their own PR officer or unit too, right? Now, you might feel that what Officer Eric Pratt said resonated and struck a chord. He did say he accepted wrongdoing. So that's rare to hear. I can tell you that. And it's also refreshing. What's also refreshing to me is the fact that he said he cared. It certainly humanises him and I'm pleased to hear that he cares. But the end framing, that the officers are on probation and no one is to blame by Brian Laundrie, is somewhat problematic, like I've said, particularly given the contents of the review and what was discovered during the investigation. And a big clue, for me, it's what also was omitted. Now more on that next week, as I'm going to wrap here. But before I do, I mentioned at the top of the episode that Gabby's story is part of National Domestic Abuse Awareness Month. To market, Lifetime, a network for women, have produced a true crime original movie called The Gabby Petito Story, which premieres Saturday, October 1st, 2022, at 8, 7 central on Lifetime. The goal of the movie is to respectfully tell Gabby Petito's story while offering viewers an opportunity to learn more about what happened. The Gabby Petito story is aligned with Lifetime's Emmy Award-winning public affairs campaign, Stop Violence Against Women, which provides resources and support for women dealing with various types of abuse and harassment. And importantly, a documentary, Beyond the Headlines, Gabby Petito, premieres immediately after the movie at 10.9 Central on Lifetime. This one-hour true crime documentary special will chronicle the twists and turns of the road trip through the lens of Gabby's social media presence, as told by the people who knew her best and a community of online strangers and cyber sleuths who ended up banding together to ultimately solve Gabby's shocking case. Two timelines were unfolding in the Gabby Petito story, a private one and a very public one. 
Beyond the headlines, Gabby Petito, the documentary, will give viewers an inside look at both sides of Gabby's life and the chasm that existed between the two. Now, that's something I've talked about a lot in this series. So just for you, lovely listeners, here's a very special sneak peek of the documentary. Take a listen to this. Gabby's story, touching all of us in this way, has really catapulted the conversation around how we talk to survivors, how we see the signs. You're absolutely not alone, and I know that is the cliche phrase that we all use, but it is true. It's important for leaders to invest in training and say, you know what, Gabby happened, it shouldn't have happened. We want to get better, so I want to put those lessons out there so that people can really understand what the red flags look like. So yes, you probably recognised a familiar voice. I am in the documentary, and I can assure you, you will hear new things about this case. You'll hear from people who knew Gabby and who haven't spoken out before. It's incredibly powerful. Also, Gabby is quite rightly centred in this documentary, thanks to Leanne Vanderman, the executive producer. Big shout out to Leanne. The documentary is a huge opportunity to educate everyone about the red flag behaviours of coercive control and to have an honest conversation and change and save lives. Tune in next week for more startling revelations from the police review report of the handling of Gabby's case. Until then, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.